0: I'm Andrew. And I'm Spencer. And you're listening to the At a Distance podcast from The Slowdown. Today, we'll be speaking with Maxine Badat, the founder and director of the New Standard Institute. It's an organization geared toward increasing and accelerating sustainability in the fashion industry through science and data.
1: Earlier in her career, Maxine co-founded and was the CEO of the fashion company Zaidi. She began her career in international law, working at the Rwandan Criminal Tribunal after graduating from
0: Columbia Law School. Maxine has a deep understanding of global supply chains and fashion in the context of climate change, so we're especially curious to hear her thoughts on COVID and moving forward beyond that. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Maxine. Uh, Welcome to At a Distance. It's great to have you with us today.
2: Great to be with you.
0: So I was thinking it would be interesting to hear, first and foremost, how you're thinking about clothes right now, especially in relationship to COVID-19. And do we dress for ourselves? Do we dress for others? What is this sort of self-quarantine moment kind of revealing about
2: that? So my personal relationship with clothing right now is that I'm in Minnesota under quarantine. And I was not planning to be here. I was here for a business meeting that was supposed to be for three days. So I have three Mm. sweaters and a pair of jeans with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I've been surviving off of. And then I've gone in my childhood home, actually. So I am living off of the clothing that I wore in high school. (laughs) (laughs) But it has definitely, you know, with such a limited selection and thinking about getting dressed, where most of my meetings, if I have any, are on Zoom um, or, you know, just over the telephone. And I have a 15-month-old that I am also running around, so definitely shifting roles throughout the day. Clothing both has become less meaningful. And also, you know, the, the categories that we had before of kind of your uniform for work and then the kind of going out weekend categories obviously have collapsed. And I think that that will definitely have a permanent change when we kind of think about rebuilding the industry going forward, because all of those spaces, the home and the work have completely collapsed and what we wear in those spaces are also collapsing. So I envision that what we're wearing today will certainly have an impact on where fashion is going to go in the future and seeing Mm -hmm. that we create these sort of artificial zones that are artificial.
0: Right. Obviously, the world's still going round. We all mostly might be inside, but there are still vast supply chains moving and things happening. I was curious from a fashion perspective how you view and are paying attention to or thinking about the notion of the supply chain right now. Have you seen COVID-19 affecting things from, from what you know, and how do you think going forward this might change things when it comes to supply chains?
2: Well, what COVID-19 has revealed for who, who might beforehand not have even known that phrase, that supply chains exist, and they are real, and they are global, and we rely on them. That is something that now your average everyday person is very well aware of. In the fashion space, it's a real crisis right now because in the fashion world, all of the risk for anything that happens, the greatest risk is borne by the garment workers themselves mm-hmm. and the distribution workers as we've seen with Amazon in our grocery store. And so what's happening in the fashion space is that orders are being canceled even orders that have been sometimes on delivered goods, on orders that have already been made, the brands are just pulling out and it is having enormous consequences already in places Mm. like China and places like Bangladesh where those workers need that for food. They need that to live off of. Mm. So it's a real emergency situation because the brands don't feel, they don't feel a responsibility to these workers, even though they are the ones that have allowed the brands to profit all of these years. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a big urgent issue. And I think what it connects to is you also just see how fashion beyond just the industry itself when you're talking about the developing world, which is the real, you know, big concern as we look ahead, is that fashion plays a central role in what happens in the developing world just because of so many in developing countries Fashion is kind of seen as a stepping stone as an industry for mm. development. So there are millions of garment workers in the developing world that are, you know, getting their orders canceled left, right, and center. So it's a real crisis there.
0: Yeah, and obviously COVID nineteen's been detrimental to the retail, at least brick and mortar retail business. How do you think it's going to reshape how we consume? You know, how is it going to shift how we think about the cost of our clothes? Whether it's buying things through e-commerce or just the fact that these things also have a vast environmental
2: impact. Yeah, I think this is a real wake-up. You know, I've I've been thinking back a lot during this time. To there was a piece in the New York Times years ago, and it was um, how Target was able to identify when women became pregnant, and that Mm -hmm. that was a moment in a woman's life where they would target found that they would change brand loyalty. So it was like a very unique opportunity in a person's whole life to change the brands that they purchased from and who the woman felt she was. To me, I see a lot of parallels to this time. There is no way um, we will still be human going forward, um, but there's no way that COVID-19 will not impact who we are, and what we are and you know what we are seeing is what are the things that we need to survive and what are the things that we don't need that maybe we held on to as crutches and so I I definitely think that will have an impact on fashion and on what people on kind of an opening to what the impacts are of fashion mm-hmm. and therefore mm-hmm. what should fashion look like in the future there listen I don't want to say I'm hopeful or like any silver lining, because there's just too much loss to even talk about that. But from this moment, we can rebuild something that is just more in line with human and planetary bounds. Mm.
0: Yeah, and hopefully understand where our our cashmere comes from and the impact that's having on the Mongolian landscape, as an example.
2: Yeah,
1: and it becomes, I think, a about resilience. You know, we talk to designers like Jessie Cam, if you're familiar with her, and. Mm-hmm her business is not really that impacted. She makes everything local and the sewers that she works with, uh, the cutters and the sewers that she works with in her neighborhood, move their machines home and she's able to continue building her line. And she has a strong relationship with her client base directly so they can continue to buy things from her and she can find ways to make that even easier, even though, you know, stores might have canceled orders and things coming up. So in this sort of track of optimism that you started talking about a little bit, which I think is an important part of, of the conversation right now, new designers coming up. Do you think this is going to affect how people build their businesses and how younger designers think about localism in terms of their practice?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's going to have an impact on um, younger designers and how they're thinking about building their businesses. I don't want to say that, you know, globalization is the problem. It's the disconnect that the brands have had with their suppliers. That's really, you could have a globally sourced supply chain. And, you know, even going back to Spencer and talking about cashmere, we're never going to source cashmere here because we're not the Mongolians, which is the environment that is required to to create cashmere. So one can have, and the fashion industry, I think, will continue to have a globally sourced supply chain. But what it means is there needs to be insight into Mm -hmm. what that supply chain is, because I I do think that you're absolutely correct that the more that the brands actually know who their suppliers are and what the issues they're facing, the better they will be, as you said, able to be resilient and to face these issues as they inevitably will come up it's important i think to to take a step back and understand the history of the fashion industry which was in the 1960s 95 percent of the clothing that was worn by americans was made by americans that today is less than two percent mm. and it went from an industry where the manufacturers themselves started the brand mm to an industry, if we take Gap as the kind of leading example, where it was no longer about manufacturing the product, but about marketing that product. And so brands just became marketers, sometimes designers, sometimes even not designers. That was even outsourced. And from that, by that change in business model, they became completely disconnected to their supply chain. And that is why we are where we are today. And that is definitely something where it was just, talked about as kind of a transparency, nice to have CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility like Nod, where now it is flat out, you know, a brand is seeing if we didn't know who our material producers were, if we didn't know who our cut and sew manufacturers were, we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely think moving forward, there will be a lot more serious focus on the supplier relationship. And I think both from a business must have to also people demanding that and demanding, you know, now we've seen the price that our Amazon worker is facing or the person at the grocery store, we're much more finely attuned and we're never going to unlearn that. And so I think there will be a much more serious focus on, you know, the real world implications of the products that we purchase. And it's not just some mystery anymore like we all even know how to make a a face mask even that kind of tactile understanding what a needle is again and you know and how every all of our garments are still made by hand by somebody Mm. um that is not something we're going to unlearn and so i think as citizens um i hate to say the word consumer as citizens we're going to be a lot more demanding of the brands that we engage with and so yeah, there's definitely, it's going to impact big brands and um, emerging designers as well.
1: Do you think fast fashion in general is going to see a real downturn?
2: Yeah, because people are, again, seeing what is essential and what is not essential. And I think there is at least awakening of like, what is meaningful to Mm -hmm. us? Sure, again, we're still like human. So listen, if I think back to, When I, I would shop at fast fashion and I loved all of that stuff, but when I, it was only when I started to realize the impact that it had that I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't possibly do that anymore. Mm. That is happening across the globe. Mm. So I I think it's a business model that's going to really struggle with, you know, an awakened consumer.
0: Have you been surprised to find what's in your high school closet? Um,
2: I have been surprised. Well, luckily I, Finished high school in 2001, so funnily enough, a lot of the styles are back. <laughs> so yeah, it's like funny that the the style has circled back just in time for me to have to rely on it. <laughs> Not that you know people are really, but it is funny to to think again, like creatively about about the materials that we have, and we see that even with the face mask, people are creatively using different materials. And I think even considering materials in that way is something so new for people. And I think it really will, you know, if we talk about upcycling, I think that it will really awaken the fact that people are having to sew or create in some way their own face mask, kind of a connection to, oh, all of this is a material source. And there can be a lot of creativity in that kind of raw material source i saw that I was in ghana last year that's where a lot of our donated clothes end up is in places like ghana and they have a massive secondhand clothing market and there are these amazing young designers there that take these you know our old trash and make them into the coolest things like i have never felt less cool than being in accra with these designers they were so just like awesome creativity And I think that this incident can spark a whole, you talk about emerging designers, taking this like feed material that we already have and, you know, creating these smaller, more localized collections that, you know, where the designers are all at a smaller scale, have closer relationships with their their customers. And I think that Mm. is like a very exciting and healthy fashion industry to consider.
1: I guess a lot of the onus is on, the sort of storytelling structures around it too. You know, this is happening as fashion ma- magazines are in sort of crisis or have been for a while. What do you think that the storytellers of fashion should be thinking about right now? And, and has their responsibility changed a bit?
2: There is just more honesty in communication, whether that's, you know, you see a white wall, or a bathroom, but-
1: <laughs> Gotta hide from the one and a half year old.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or, you know, the beautiful wallpaper in Spencer's bedroom, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there's a lot more, you know, honesty, you know, in the way we're dressing and the way we're communicating, seeing into our own personal spaces and we see that live disrupting the way we digest stories. Even if you saw Saturday Night Live, you know, that was great storytelling, you know, from everybody's respective apartments and houses. And so I think likewise the the fashion media and fashion landscape, we're gonna expect that sort of level of honesty, that level of honesty and transparency, but then also kind of not just these tropes of like what the future should look like and the superficiality of that, but like really helping, mm. you know, I think the the media companies that are gonna succeed, and especially the fashion media. Are those that like really dig in deep, you know, without skipping over important things like what should the size of the fashion industry be, that really dig in and cover those issues in a deep way? I hear it all around me. People are just hungry to understand like, what does this all mean? Where are we going? Like, clearly, the system that we have built is just made of sand and not a good one. And mm-hmm. I think the leaders in that and the people that can create that story. Um, are going to be the ones that we all are interested in engaging with. Mm.
0: You just posted a sort of manifesto on the New Standard Institute site for rebuilding going forward, and the 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 first sort of area that you suggest rebuilding is your closet. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, from like a, a pragmatic perspective, what you mean by that, and and how you suggest and and sort of think about the notion of rebuilding one's closet.
2: Yeah. So I I go back to kind of my own personal experience doing that and I got into all of this because I just had a closet that was overflowing with stuff and perpetually never feeling like I had anything to wear. And it was always kind of, I dismissed it myself for a long time. And the story that was fed back to me was like, oh, it's such a girl's problem, like having all of this stuff and nothing ever to wear. And then I, you know, I really just spent time digging through like, wait, what do I even like in all of this stuff? What am I actually wearing? What am I actually gravitating towards? And I feel like none of us are really had been given that time and space to really think about like what makes them feel good.
0: Marie Kondo.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
0: Does it spark joy?
2: (laughs) I think Marie Kondo had it, has a lot of it, right. Although she missed one step that the, the Japanese often refer to, which is in addition to like, does it spark joy is that extra step of when you do get rid of it to have a moment of, like pain Mm. that you have acquired this thing that didn't spark joy or doesn't spark joy. And I think that's a really important step because I think we have to not just kind of see this like purging, you know, that's going to go someplace. I know a lot of people are busy purging their closets and I hear a lot of those stories and I know what that means for the secondhand industry, you know, the glut that is about to come out and be dumped on the developing world, which. By the way, a lot of that just ends up in um, landfill or getting burned, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other side of this that people are not familiar enough with yet. So I think it is Marie Kondo, but it's Marie Kondo looking forward to how am I not going to acquire that thing again so that I don't have to keep doing this so that I'm not this like gerbil on a machine that I am being considerate of what I buy. And it doesn't mean not buying things Ever again. It doesn't mean now I'm going to become a monk and wear all black and that's it. It's actually an invitation to love your clothing, to actually not navigate it as a place of stress and anxiety and body shaming, but actually finding pleasure in all of the things that we consume. And if we genuinely find pleasure in it, we're going to wear it more and it's going to last longer, Mm. which I think is the place that we need to get to, both for environmental reasons, but also for the breakneck pace, I think that is happening for the garment workers in Bangladesh and the designers who just burn out because they can't possibly pump out so much product that actually is thoughtfully designed. And I think we can just slow that down. We can have a lot more, you know, grace in our closet and enjoy it and have it be something that like a place of pleasure Mm.
1: and maybe clothing shouldn't be cheap like food shouldn't necessarily be cheap you know maybe we just need less but better
2: yeah it's definitely a story of less but better i always want to add to that line of reasoning because that's absolutely true what i am mindful of is you know the conversation back which is well not everybody can afford it Mm -hmm. and that is absolutely true and i want to just show how those things are connected because when we pay very, very little for our clothing, and I'm talking like a $2 t-shirt or a $5 t-shirt, people are not getting paid as a result of that. Or we are cutting corners on, you know, environments and labor. If we didn't do that, if we put in those costs as to what that t-shirt has to cost in order to not degradate the environment and pay people a living wage, that will be more than $2. But then it also means we will live in a system in which people actually can afford to have the nicer things. And I Mm. think that is a system that we want to build towards, where it's understanding that if we don't pay the Amazon worker and then our product is cheaper, well, then that Amazon worker can afford to buy that sustainable garment. And we need to create societies in which all of the people are able to afford it, have fewer things, are able to... Even have the headspace to be able to be mindful of these things because so they're not worried about where their food is coming from or how they're going to pay their rent. And it's only going to be at that time where we will be able to address the bigger environmental concerns. So to me, it's critical to see how those two things, um, labor and environment, are very, very, very much connected. And we cannot address the one without the other.
0: Mm. Another one of the rebuilding sort of ideas in your manifesto is, is rebuilding a relationship with each other and I'm curious from your perspective how clothes can help do that.
2: So I think the beauty with clothing is that it is the one thing that we have in common is that we all get dressed. Not all of us even get, you know, get to eat, but we're all we all get to get dressed and that is kind of a one human universal. And I think it is this thing that we every one of us participates in. It's not like we have to have a PhD in environmental science or understand, you know, how engineering works. It's something that we can and do all participate in. And by understanding kind of who makes our clothing, how it is made, the impact that it has, and addressing those things, we actually address the connection to each other. We actually you know, if, if we think about even on on our conversation thus far, we've talked about issues in the developing world. We've talked about the environment. We've talked about Amazon workers. Through our clothing, we connect farming. We connect oil and gas. We connect developing world issues and precarious work. We connect um, with distribution and distribution workers. So through that, if we can, you know, rebuild that connection with our closets, we're rebuilding that connection with all of those people that touch you know the garments that go into our closet. Mm. Fashion is so often you know by outsiders dismissed as this like superficial, girly, unimportant industry. and it is you know a two and a half trillion dollar industry that we all participate in and has tentacles around the world and in every major issue from oil, which is what most of our clothing is made out of today. To international development, to precarious work with the distribution centers, like it is, you know, one of the most important industries, and yet it is dismissed as this thing that is, you know, superficial and girly. Hmm.
0: Going forward, as we come out of this pandemic, what is your hope? I guess for a healthier, more sustainable fashion industry. And you mentioned that, yeah, there's no silver lining, but are you optimistic?
2: So I think I just first need to acknowledge that people who are going through both a pain of an economic pain or a pain of actually losing loved ones. And um, I have somebody very close to me that just lost their father from this epidemic. So there is no silver lining in that respect. I think we will have to acknowledge, you know, just a massive pain that people are feeling. Going forward, as we rebuild, I think we definitely can get lessons from this time. It is, you know, you guys have been speaking about this theme of slowing down, and it is to slow these things that had become so automatic, which is like, It's a new season and new sales and let's buy this thing and like a new email coming in or something on our Instagram feed, like, oh, I should like buy that because somehow that feels being productive. All of those things from this are kind of the why behind it is coming to the fore. And so I think as we look forward, we can participate in seeing a sense of agency and that can start in our closets of what it is that we are going to keep with us as we move forward how we are going to engage with that. And I think from that sense of agency, seeing that we have a both a sense of agency and responsibility as citizens. And I think if anything that we can come away from this time, that we are either called consumers or citizens. We are most often referred to as consumers these days. And there's even research around when that word consumer is spoken, how it creates these untapped desires and i think that if we can take this time to collapse that that we are not consumers we are citizen consumers or we are citizens who buy things and participate Mm -hmm. it will give us a sense of agency both within our closets but as people who vote as people who understand policy as people who engage in these things because what i think it demands of us Is that we engage with policy, that we can't just say, like, oh, that's not my field, or oh, I don't know that stuff. We know a lot more than we think we do, and we should have a lot more of a voice than we've given ourselves. Mm. So I think that what I am hopeful for out of this devastation is that we all have a, a sense of agency around our closets and around who we are as citizens and what we can create if we step in and
0: have our voices heard. Mm, that's
1: fantastic.
0: Citizen earth. <laughs> Thanks Maxine. <laughs> this is so great to have you on today. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank
2: you. It's great
1: to be with you guys. All right. Have a nice day.
0: Be well.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of At A Distance, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can follow us on Instagram at slowdown.tv sign up for our weekly newsletter exploring the five senses head to our website at www.slowdown.tv